Father, we thank you for your love for us, and we thank you for your presence. Amen. Uh, Our reading this morning is taken from Matthew chapter 21, and if you want to follow in the Church Bibles, it's on page 988. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there, with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell him that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds went ahead of him, and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Jesus entered the temple area and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple area, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read? From the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise. And he left them and went out of the city to Bethany, where he spent the night. Thank you. So, uh, good morning, uh, each and every one of you. Um, Just a quick notice before we get uh, into here. uh, there uh, about Ukraine. Um, the, the hazards of reading a notice that was uh, written last Tuesday is that there's no prayer meeting tomorrow night. It was the next day, which was last Wednesday. So please don't turn up here uh, tomorrow or else you may be um, uh, on your tod. Uh, although I'm joining with you to pray for Ukraine. And also I just want to add an, another sort of spontaneous uh, notice this morning. Um, uh, a couple of people have, uh, uh, have approached me uh, and they've been on a journey of exploring faith and they've uh, come up to me and said look David would love to, to get baptized uh, we're ready to make that next step of commitment so that's going to be happening sometime in May and June and so this is a sort of um, uh, 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 a call here for any and uh, for any and every one of us who haven't made that sort of public act of commitment that Jesus Christ is Lord uh, maybe you got uh, christened as a baby and want to reaffirm those baptism vows yourself as an adult, or uh, maybe you haven't been christened as a baby, maybe you've just come to faith yourself and you're, you're thinking about now is the time uh, to make that commitment. Let me encourage you to come and speak 
to me because it says, you know, those who believe in their hearts that Jesus Christ, uh, whoever believes in their hearts and confess with their mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, then they will be saved. And part of that confessing with our mouths is that public uh, declaration that we are followers of Jesus. So that act of baptism uh, is really important. So let me encourage you, if you're interested, to come speak to me over the next week or so. We can find a date that suits everybody and then we can prepare for the special day itself. But today, I want us to consider uh, the question uh, that is found in our passage today. If you want to uh, keep your Bibles open, it's found in verse 10, and it says this, um, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred, and they asked, who is this? Who is this? In other words, who is Jesus, who is Jesus? There's more than uh, 2 billion people alive on the planet right now. That's over a third of the world's population that claim to follow Jesus as Lord. Time magazine has said that Jesus is the most influential person who has ever lived. But my question to each and every one of us today is, how would you describe Jesus? If someone came up to you and asked, how would you describe Jesus? Who is Jesus? What would you say? In a sentence, in, a, in Alpha, uh, uh, that question is asked on one of the weeks, and they, they're interviewing people, and uh, they give various different responses uh, about who is Jesus. Some people say, oh, you know, isn't he like the Son of God, or isn't he God? And, 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 and uh, other people say, well, I think he was just this sort of person who lived a long time ago. He said some really cool things, but things have sort of snowballed and got out of control since then. Um, there was even uh, a, a quick-witted football fan who said, isn't he a forward for Manchester City? Um, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Well, in short, we find the answer to that question in verse 5. See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey. Who is Jesus? He is our gentle king. So let's explore what our passage sort of opens up to us about these two different words, gentle and king. So first of all, Jesus is king. So the triumphal entry marks uh, what is the beginning of the most important week in the history of the world. It's not only a week that changed human history, it also shaped human destiny. Our opening four words sort of set the scene. They say this, as they approached Jerusalem. So Jesus was approaching Jerusalem. And Jerusalem would be the place that he would ultimately be betrayed, tortured, mocked, uh, and crucified. But who was shaping these events? Who was ultimately in control? Was it the crowds that were in control? We sort of see that perhaps now, don't we? You know, we value our democracy, the power of the people to shape our government and direction. You should also see it maybe a bit more negatively in sort of the, the council culture that we have. Are the crowds really in control? In our passage today, uh, they are welcoming Jesus with shouts of Hosanna to the Son of David. And yet, uh, turn forward a couple of pages and you will find their cries turn to crucify him. It was at their bequest that Pilate gives them what they want. 
Pilate, offers, do you want me to release to you Barabbas or Jesus? And the crowd shout for Barabbas, and they say, crucify Jesus. Are the events of Holy Week, therefore, a sort of insight into the power of the people, the power of peer pressure? Or were the chief priests and the teachers, the, the teachers of the law, the ones who are really sort of pulling the strings of power behind the scenes? But like us today, maybe the media is manipulating the people. Can we, can we trust what we hear? Perhaps there's powers at work behind the scenes that are manipulating uh, uh, the, the, the things that are going on. In verse 15, we hear that when they heard the cries, Hosanna to the Son of David, what was their response? Verse 15, they were indignant. They were indignant. It was their scheming that led to Jesus standing before Pilate and some trumped-up charges. It was them who actually, we read, persuaded the crowds to call for Barabbas' release and persuaded the crowds to shout, crucify Jesus. But of course, none of that could have happened without the military might of Rome. It was at the hands of the Roman soldiers that Jesus was mocked and tortured. It was upon a Roman cross that Jesus died. As we look a little closer at our passage this morning, we see that it's really neither the crowds, nor the religious leaders, nor the might of Rome who are really in control. The one who is orchestrating all the events is Jesus himself. And saints, you have to be, you must be incredibly powerful if you are able to get your enemies to do your bidding whilst they are trying to work against you. This is the king who we worship. Who is Jesus? Jesus is the king, and the king is in control. It's easy to imagine, isn't it, that Jesus was caught off guard. We read the triumphal entry. Jesus is just minding his own business. He's going into Jerusalem. He's suddenly caught off guard. There's a crowd, and they're waving branches, and they're shouting, Hosanna in the, the highest. And Jesus goes, oh, shucks, you know, you know. But actually, if we look a little closer, we see that Jesus is orchestrating the whole thing. And he will remain in control throughout the entire of the unfolding events of Holy Week. See, the gospel writers are usually tremendously concise and to the point in what they're writing. And what we notice here is that they give six whole verses to explaining how Jesus is orchestrating the events of uh, the triumphal entry in verses 1 to 6. So, first of all, what do we see? We see that Jesus sends two disciples into Bethpage to get a donkey. And he says, if anyone should ask you, you know, why are you taking them? You should ask the Lord needs them. Mm, the Lord needs them. Bethphage uh, is a neighboring village to Bethany, and Jesus would have known this, these villages extremely well. He spent a lot of time there. And Bethany was the place where Jesus had done that miraculous miracle of raising Lazarus from the dead. And so if there was one place in the whole of the Middle East at this time when G, that where people knew exactly what Jesus was capable of and who Jesus was, it was these villages. And also, I want you to, to notice something that we didn't read today, but if you've got your Bibles open, look at what the, the thing is that happens immediately before the triumphal entry. 
In the very last few verses of chapter 20, we see a miracle of two blind men receiving their sight. And you might say, well, what's so important about that? What's so important about two blind men receiving their sight? Well, it's because of what we find on the lips of these two blind men. They cry out something very specific. They say, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. And Jesus allows them to say that twice. Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. And what we don't realize, because we come to our Bibles with our 21st century eyes, what we don't immediately see is that these blind men are using a phrase, Lord, Son of David, which was unmistakably a messianic title. Everyone present would have known that using this phrase, the blind men were calling Jesus the messianic, the long-awaited for centuries king of the universe, the ultimate king. We've sung today, the king of kings. The final king of the world. This is what they were calling him. And what does Jesus do? He turns to them and says, what do you want? Ultimate king of the universe. Jesus looks at them and says, what do you want from me? What do you want from me? You see, it's hard for us to imagine the atmosphere at that time. For years, the people following Jesus have been longing Jesus to, to, to sort of proclaim who he really is. And Jesus has been saying, oh no, you've got to keep it quiet, got to be, keep it quiet. And suddenly, on this point, it turns. And Jesus, for the very first time, allows his messianic title to be used in public. And so it was tremendously exciting and yet also hugely fearful. The disciples knew that this was now do or die time. You don't walk into Jerusalem on the eve of the Passover after proclaiming yourself the messianic king without basically he's got to either triumph and take the kingship or he's going to be crushed by the authorities. You know, this was the final push, the final sprint to the top. So let's put this together. You know, he just publicly proclaimed his kingship. The fever is mounting. And then he sends his disciples into Bethpage, the place where everybody's already excited about Jesus. And he says, go get me a donkey. And anyone in the house says, the Lord needs them. And then Jesus, in this prophetic act, this long-awaited act from Zechariah, and, and actually prophesied again in Jerusalem, mounts this donkey, mounts this donkey, and starts entering Jerusalem. Because Jesus wasn't just borrowing a donkey. He was gathering a crowd. Do you see how he's in control? He's in control. He wasn't just borrowing a donkey. He was gathering a crowd, a crowd that would obviously shout Hosanna to the son of David, a crowd who would be waving palm branches and throwing down their cloaks. We see this and we think the crowd's rushing out of Jerusalem to meet them. No, Jesus has gathered a crowd from these villages. If we see in our passages, the crowds are already shouting Hosanna to the son of David, Hosanna in the highest. And then later in verse 10, we read, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred. Jesus is in total control. He isn't caught by a flash crowd. The crowds do what he wants. He knew he must enter Jerusalem. He'd already predicted this. He'd already said in the previous chapter, I need to go there and I am going to give my life as a ransom for many. 
Jesus is king. Jesus was in control that first Palm Sunday. And Jesus was in control that good Friday. And saints, this is what I want to say to us today. Jesus is in control today. Jesus is in control today. Whatever you are facing, whatever, whatever you may be struggling with in your lives, Jesus is in control. You know, in our prayer meeting, uh, before the service began, we spent a time of listening. Someone popped up, you know, I just feel as if God is saying that Jesus is in control in the events of Ukraine. Didn't know what we were speaking on today. Jesus wants to say to you that Jesus is in control. God is in control. Some of us will be uh, struggling with unforgiveness and bitterness. And Jesus is saying, will you trust me? Some of us are struggling with disappointment. Some of us are struggling with ill health. Jesus is saying, will you trust me because I am the king? When nothing good seems to be able to come from your situation, will you still trust that Jesus is in control? In Romans chapter 8, we read this. We know that in all things, even the really rubbish things, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Even in the most difficult times, God is working for good. God is changing you into more and more like the person you've always designed to be. God is for, as it says in Romans chapter 8. Who can be against us? And so whilst God doesn't cause all the, all, the, all the stuff that happens in this world, this is the result of the fall and sin and the devil. God doesn't cause it, but he's able to sort of bring it and redeem it and weave it together and he's able to use all of those things for your good because he loves you. Because Jesus loves you. God, the creator of the cosmos, loves you. And Jesus didn't just die on a cross for you to leave you struggling in your hour of need. He who died for you is walking alongside you. And though we may be living in a fallen world, Jesus is still in control. So Jesus is king. And the second thing I want us to look at this morning is Jesus is the gentle king. Verse 5, see your king comes to you gentle. Gentle and riding on a donkey. And this week I've been thinking about that word, gentle. Just yesterday I was uh, reading in my, 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 my own uh, quiet time, I was reading James chapter 3, just happened, you know, and, and often as a sort of church leader I'm praying for vis- wisdom and it was talking about how we need to seek heavenly wisdom. And then it said this, the wisdom that is from above, the wisdom of God, is first of all pure, peaceable, gentle willing to yield, full of mercy and of good fruits. To live with God's wisdom involves being gentle. One of the fruits of the Holy Spirit is gentleness. The word translated gentle in our passage today is also used in Jesus' famous teaching in the Beatitudes. Remember the Beatitudes? I mentioned one of those last week. Well, Jesus also says this, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. But that word meek is the same word as we've got gentle in our passage today. In other words, Jesus is saying, blessed are the gentle, for they will inherit the earth. Meek, gentle, humble. They're all translations of that same Greek word, which is uh, prowos, prowos. In our four gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we've got 89 chapters in all, and there's only one place where Jesus tells us about what's really going on in his heart. One place. 
One place where Jesus pulls back the veil and lets us peer into his very core. And it's at chapter 11 uh, of this gospel. And in verse 29, he says this. Do you want to know who I am? He says this, I am gentle and humble in heart. When the Bible speaks about the heart, it's not speaking about our emotional life. It, it, it speaks about the center of who we are. Our heart defines and directs us. And that's why King Solomon uh, wrote in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, above all else, guard your heart for everything flows from it. Guard your heart. In the tough times, that's when we can see really what's going on in our heart. When Jesus reveals to us the innermost recesses of his heart, what animates him the most, what do we find? Gentleness. Gentleness and humility. Jesus is the gentle king. And saints, what the second thing I want to say to us this morning is that the subjects of the kingdom, the subjects of his kingdom, are called to be like the king. We want, we are called to be gentle. Jesus wants us to be gentle in heart. And this is a, a challenge for me, a real challenge for me as I examine my own heart. You know, am I gentle? You know, I've got a, a, a long way to go and I want to be more like Jesus. I want to be gentle like my king, my saviour. Saints, do you want to grow in gentleness, because blessed are the gentle, for they will inherit the earth. And we need to be clear what gentleness is and isn't. Gentleness does not mean weakness. Does the figure of Jesus look weak to you? Who is, this, is the, this, is, this is the man who is orchestrating the, the events of the most important week in history. He's in total control. Does he look weak to you? He isn't weak. We read, if we would have read on, verses 12 to 17, we would read uh, Jesus at the temple. He goes in, he throws over the, 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 the tables, and he says, my house will be a house of prayer for the nations. Does Jesus look weak to you? No, he's in total control. Gentleness does not equate to weakness. People mistakenly think gentleness equates to weakness. That's why people think they can push around a gentle person, but a truly gentle person can never be pushed around because biblical gentleness has got nothing to do with weakness. Biblical gentleness has got to do with power. It's got to do with power. To be gentle is to have strength under control, to have power without harshness. In our passage today, Jesus confronts us as king he refuses to allow anyone to think of him as merely a good person who said a few cool things, you know, a, a, a wise person. Jesus claims to be king, the Messiah. He walks into the temple in the next section. He overturns the furniture. Who gets to overturn the furniture? Only the person who owns the house. And he says of the temple, of God's temple, my house will be a house of prayer. My house, he's claiming to be God. He's claiming to be the long-awaited Messiah. We've got to take him seriously. He is either completely insane or he is the king of kings. He doesn't allow us to sit on the fence. He doesn't allow us to say he's just a nice guy who lived and said a few nice things. Jesus is confronting us and we are faced with a choice. Everyone is faced with a choice. Will we crown him? 
or will we kill him? That's what Jesus is doing here. He's forcing the issue, and some people choose to say crucify him, and others crown him. You see, you can't expect Jesus to come to you and say, oh, well, I want him as a counselor. I want him as my helper. I want him as my support and my strength, but I don't want you as my king. It doesn't work like that. I can't say to Tony over there, come in, Tony, stay out May. I can't do that. I've got to accept him as Lord. Well, not Tony as Lord and Savior. Um, I've got to accept Jesus as because Jesus wants to be our comfort. He wants to be our friend. He wants to be our strength. But he says, I will not be any of those unless I can also be your king. Jesus is the king. He is, he does not allow any middle road. He won't allow it. And yet, at his very core, at the very center of this king is someone who is gentle. So will you come to this gentle king and make him king of your life. That's what baptism is about. It's about coming to make Jesus king of your life. Matthew 11, verse 28, Jesus says this, Come to me, all who are wearied and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take your yoke upon me and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Verse 10, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? Saints, this is Jesus, the gentle king. So let's stand now and we're going to respond to Jesus' gentle king uh, with a time of prayer before we enter into a time of worship together. So let's stand to pray.